real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today teaches content creators and Pinterest managers how to simplify their marketing strategies, use Pinterest effectively for their business, and create a profitable business that gives them the time freedom they've been searching for. Welcome to the show, Katherine Morehouse. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to be here. Well, can you give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself if they're not familiar with you? Definitely. So I first got started in the online business with a baby clothing company. (laughs) So I was hand making my own things. And you know what it's like when you are doing your own business and you're having to market and do everything yourself. You literally have every single hat on your head. (laughs) You are trying to be everything all the time. And what I ended up doing was I reached out to some other business owners in the same space and kind of built up a network of friends, you know, people who knew what you're going through and they can kind of help guide you through it because they've been there before. And I ended up joining a Facebook group with these makers as well. And it was just such a supportive environment. And I ended up connecting with a lot of them and the host of the group asked me if I wanted to take over the Facebook group while she was away. I'd never done that before. So I dived straight into that. And afterwards, I was like, well, how else can I help you? And she was like, I need a social media manager. And I hadn't thought about that as a job at all. Now, backstory before that is I've actually got a marketing degree (laughs) and I have a business degree. And I had no idea at the time that you could even do social media management as a business option. You know, it was such a new thing and it was really only small business owners that were reaching out and saying, can you handle my social media? I can't handle it myself. And this was a while ago. So I was like, sure, I will give it a try because I loved social media and she loved what I was doing with my own Pinterest account and my other social media platforms. So I dived into really general social media management in addition to running my baby clothing business. And I was booked out within six months with social media management. And I was absolutely loving it. I had found the place I wanted to be. But naturally, the more I got deeper into the social media management side of things, the more I realized Pinterest was where it's at. And I just love Pinterest. Every day I got up and the one thing I was excited to go and look at was the Pinterest account because it sends so much more traffic to the websites, to the other social media channels than anything else, even all of the regular social media channels combined. So that's when I decided I'm going to niche down into Pinterest and just offer that. And again, right after that, niching down, I was booked out because people wanted to be on Pinterest, but they just didn't know how to use it. And I had to learn (laughs) very quickly all the details about Pinterest marketing. And I discovered it wasn't a social media channel at all. It was actually a search engine. So it is basically Google with a very beautiful interface. So I always say if Google and Instagram had a baby, we'd call it Pinterest. (laughs) It's a beautiful search engine mixed in with the beautiful visual graphics and they kind of work well together. And since then, I've just been obsessed with Pinterest, I guess. 
to the point that I've created courses and trainings and I now coach people on how to become Pinterest managers. So it's been an amazing journey. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, you had mentioned that it's more of a search engine than social media, which I, I think we all start out thinking it's social media. But then we realized it's, yeah, it's more of a search engine. That's funny also that you mentioned that you started a baby clothing company because one of my, I have several businesses, but one of them, it's a drop shipping business, but it's with baby clothing. It's called Funzy Onesie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Funzy onesie. Yeah. But I'm thinking about getting away from the drop shipping part of it and like just creating my own onesies through like Printful or something and doing that. But anyway, that's a whole different topic. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a conversation <laughs> about all of these other businesses <laughs> for hours, I'm sure. Do you still have that business, by the way? I didn't. I ended up closing it down a few years in. And that was purely because I got so busy with the. Pinterest management that I couldn't keep up. And yeah, I just loved it. And I thought, you know, it was really great for the time being. And it's always something that I may want to come back to, but I just decided that was that was its lifespan and I'd moved on to Pinterest at that point. So with Pinterest, see, I, I have a Pinterest account. I post my podcast episodes, blog posts. I sometimes I, I do like a monthly giveaway, but I'm having trouble you know how you go to in the app and you can see how many views it's gotten and how many, I guess, clicks or whatnot, and they're getting like 10 views or something. I did post a audiogram one time that got, well, last I checked, which was quite a while ago, it had gotten, I think, 40 or 50. So I guess that did better than just an image. But what tips or advice would you have as far as getting people to see your posts? I don't know if it's a hashtag issue or... So the biggest thing when it comes to Pinterest, there's two main key areas that you always want to focus on. The one is keyword optimization because it is a search engine. So you're, you're basically applying all kinds of SEO that you would normally on your website, but you're doing it with Pinterest because it functions in the same way as Google. They have to find the keywords associated with your blog post, with your podcast, with things like that in order to show it in front of people. So it comes down to keyword research and optimization and then pin design. So those are two main factors that affect the traffic you get to your website. With the keyword research side of things, you really are looking at what a Pinterest user would type into the search bar to find things. So if you've ever gone onto Pinterest and looked for anything, you've started by typing something into the search bar usually. And you'll use a small keyword. You may not call it a keyword, but you'll say vegan dinner recipes or you'll say brownie recipes or you'll end up saying something like that. A lot of us go into marketing tips or Pinterest tips or Facebook tips. You're writing in something that is very specific so you can find the solution that you're looking for. And pinners are always looking for ideas, inspiration, or solutions. So those are really what they're looking for. And content is the answer content by business owners. But the biggest discrepancy or the biggest problem that we face as business owners is making sure that we show up in front of those pinners when they search for that particular thing. And that comes down to the keywords that we use. So Pinterest looks for keywords in a few different places. They can actually read the text on your pin image. So if you have a blog post, an audiogram or anything, and you put text on the image, they can read the text on the image, they can pick out the keywords, and they'll associate the pin with those keywords. Then they look at the pin title. So what did you title the pin as? Are there any keywords in that pin title? They'll look at the pin description. Are there any keywords in the description? They'll look at your URL, your website URL you're leading them to. Are there any keywords in that URL? 
they'll also look at the landing page you're sending them to. So if you're sending them to a blog post, they land on the blog post. Pinterest is going to look at that blog post landing page. They're going to read the blog post title and the body text, meaning the entire blog post, to pick out keywords that they're going to associate this pin with. And they do a comparison between your pin and the actual blog post. They look for cohesion, essentially. They want to make sure that you're sending them to a good place. The more that it matches, meaning the more that your design and the keywords you use match what's on the website landing page you're sending them to, the higher your ranking. So we're really just trying to rank highly in the search engine. And so it's very similar to that Google side of things, but it's a, a lot less complicated than I would say Google SEO is because Pinterest really is looking at a few key things, which is the keywords and where you've placed them. The more you place one particular keyword in all of those areas I mentioned, the higher your ranking will be for that keyword. It really comes down to the SEO side of things, because if someone types in, let's say, vegan dinner recipes, and your pin image has a picture of a recipe or food on the table, they're already going to pick out what that food is and give it a keyword. They're also going to be able to read the text on the actual image. So if you said vegan dinner recipes, they'd pick up that keyword. They're going to pick it up in the pin title, the pin description again, maybe in your blog post URL, if you put that in the actual website address. If it's your blog post title and the recipe over and over again in your actual blog post, you talk about vegan dinner recipes, they're picking up those keywords. The more they see that keyword, the higher the ranking for that keyword, essentially. They're giving it a confidence score. So instead of going into too much detail, because I could go really deep with all this, but essentially, if you think about that, Pinterest wants to make sure that if I type in vegan dinner recipe into the search bar, the content creators that share content that have those keywords in them the most are going to show up. Pinterest wants to make sure I'm seeing only the best content, only the best vegan dinner recipes. They want to feel super confident that I'm going to see exactly what I want to see, which is a vegan dinner recipe that I may want to click on. So they're going to make sure that those content creators that use those keywords in various places that have fantastic landing pages or blog posts that they're sending them to that match those pins, they are the ones that are going to show up because Pinterest is more confident in displaying that person in front of a pinner or that person's content in front of a pinner. So we've got to really look at this keyword research side of things. And then naturally, the second thing I mentioned is the pin design. You have to think about the pinner themselves. They either want to be super inspired by the image, meaning that vegan dinner recipe better look really good. <laughs> you know, you better have a really great picture that you're using or it needs to be very clear, meaning you have to state at the top or in text, vegan dinner recipe, gluten-free vegan dinner recipe, whatever it may be. You want to be as clear as possible because if I'm searching on Pinterest and I see a couple of pins, I'm going to notice the one that is either the most beautiful in terms of its pictures and really answers my question, which is I'm looking for vegan dinner recipes, or two, it has text that is clear and bold and stands out amongst this crowd of pin images that says vegan dinner recipes. Look at me, click me, essentially. It's trying to attract me to that pin. I'm more likely to click on that image. So we really have those two things working together to increase your traffic in the long run. Yeah, so I've been doing it all wrong then. Well, because the way I have it set up is I use a, a social media management tool, scheduling tool called Crowdfire. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but and so 
basically I have it set up to where whenever I have a new podcast or blog or whatever, it like reads that feed, I guess, and then pushes it out. I mean, I guess there might be some keywords and whatnot with maybe the blog or the title of the podcast or blog post. But other than that, I haven't been going like into Pinterest and, you know, adding keywords and stuff. So that's probably what I'm doing wrong. They do have this amazing feature that is obviously being able to connect our RSS feed. So you can actually share it automatically. The biggest problem with following that route is that most of the time, Pinterest, one of the key things is that Pinterest wants you to share your pin to the most relevant board first. That means if you write a blog post and it's about vegan dinner recipes, it must go to the vegan dinner recipes board first. If that is the board that it belongs on, it's the most relevant. And this comes again down to the keywords because they're going to associate your pin with any keywords on that board, meaning in the board name or board description. So all of this is like layered keyword research (laughs) or keyword application, essentially. And if you are sharing that pin to just a general board and it doesn't have those keywords, it won't necessarily perform as well. So that's the hardest thing about using one of those platforms, essentially, that would just send it straight through. Again, that pin description, it is the one place where you just want to fill it with juicy keywords and a great description that gets people excited to actually click on it. But you don't have to do it manually. There are some tools that you can use. Pinterest does have its own native scheduler. There is another tool called Tailwind that allows you to schedule out your pins and your Instagram posts and things like that through to Pinterest and to Instagram. So that's another fantastic tool if anybody is interested in automation instead of having to manually do anything because I'm all for automation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to actually ask you what tools you would recommend for something like that. So with Tailwind, and I think I've heard of another one. I think later, is that another one? Planoly is one that also does Pinterest. Okay. I, have, I haven't looked into it. They probably do. So if they're automatic, kind of like the one I'm using, how does it differ as far as the keywords and all that stuff? So when you're using Tailwind, you're uploading the images directly into Tailwind. You're adding the website URL, but you're also able to add a keyword-rich pin title and description before you schedule it out a pin title and description unique to the blog post, unique to that piece of content. So it does really help because it is specific, which means you're using a set number of keywords that are really relevant to that pin. And Pinterest wants you to keep all keywords that you associate a pin with as relevant as possible, because obviously that's going to result in better performance. So that really is one of the reasons why it's slightly different is it's not using a generic description or a short description, but there is a small solution if you do, or a quick solution, if you do want to use an automated system that pulls from your blog, usually on your blog, you do have some SEO options available to you. You can usually add a description to the blog that is just picked up by search engines. You're usually able to provide a title for the blog post that is picked up by search engines. And for WordPress, for example, that's Yoast SEO. It's a plugin that you can use. So there are many options like that where you can actually associate that blog with a full written out description that uses fantastic keywords for Pinterest specifically. So if you do use something that pulls it straight from that blog post, it usually can pull that description with it. And if someone saves a pin image from your actual blog post, it will pull that description as well. So it does serve you in that way. I know that one of the biggest questions I usually get when I'm talking about these keywords, you know, everybody gets a bit overwhelmed (laughs) because it's like keyword research, SEO, and everybody shuts down. So I don't want the audience to shut down now if you don't like SEO because Pinterest makes it really easy and it is different to Google SEO. 
because pinners are different. Pinners are acting in a different way. They're searching for things in more of a relaxed fashion usually, and they are usually more ready to buy. So they're looking for inspiration. They're saving these ideas, and they have an intention to take action. So what Pinterest has done is they've created something called the Pinterest guided search, which is if someone types something into the search bar and hits enter, little blocks appear under the search bar with keywords in them. Those keywords are associated with that main topic you typed in. So for example, if I type in Facebook or Facebook marketing, let's go with Facebook marketing and I hit enter and I see these little blocks underneath. The one may say Facebook marketing tips. The next block may say Facebook marketing strategies. And if you hover over it, you'll see the full key phrase essentially. But that is the most typed in term by Pinterest users. And they created that to make it very easy for a regular user to click in deeper and deeper, basically go down the rabbit hole, let's be honest. (laughs) They wanted to make sure that people didn't have to type in the same thing over and over again because they were seeing so many people doing that. So they decided to create the Pinterest guided search where they were putting in these automated suggestions based on what the Pinterest user base was typing in. So you can actually use that to figure out what keywords you'll use for your different topics that you cover. If you talk about Facebook marketing, type it into the search bar. Take a look at what those guided search buttons actually reveal. What keywords are people using? Use those in your pin description. That becomes part of your keyword research. Pinterest also has a few other options. There's a drop-down suggestion. So very similar to Google, you know, when you type something in and there's a drop-down that appears. All of a sudden, there's all these other suggestions. Those are essentially the most common keywords or key phrases used in relation to what you typed in. So when you're deciding what keywords must I use, those two ways are generally the best ways to go and find those keywords and actually use them in your pin descriptions, pin titles, blog posts, etc. So the Pinterest scheduling tool that's directly within it, would that maybe be the best way to do it, at least starting out? The best free way? Exactly. So the the Pinterest one is free. It lets you schedule up to 30 pins and about two weeks in advance. So it, it does limit you in certain ways, but... The important thing to remember is Pinterest is always creating these new things, like you can add video pins. And at the moment, when you add a video pin through Pinterest scheduler, you can actually add these tags. It's just another way of basically showing up in the search and tagging this video with great keywords. But you can't necessarily add those tags on other scheduling platforms just yet. You can also only add carousel pins in the actual Pinterest scheduler. So it is one of those things to start off with because you get to play around with variations of pin types. You get to essentially test the waters and figure out, okay, what do I like to pin? What's this process that I need to follow? Do I want to upload video pins? Do I prefer carousel pins? And then beyond that, does my audience actually like video pins from me? Do they engage with carousel pins? Do they like regular pins that I just upload? So all of these things you can discover as you use the native scheduler in Pinterest. You don't have to pay for it. And the great thing is they also have some design features, which means if you want to add a logo, you can add it right on Pinterest's uploader, essentially. It's called the Pin Builder. And that is fantastic because normally we have to go into another third-party app like Canva and design something. Pinterest is making it easier. So it's definitely the route to go if you're starting out. And then once you're ready to really dive into accelerated pinning, pinning 10 to 15 pins a day and really gaining the traffic that I think you would want to for your business, 
that's when you can decide to upgrade and switch things around. Okay, those are good points. I think I'll try that out. I like that there's Pinterest specific things that like the carousel and the video and all that stuff that other things don't have. And like you said, the downside is that you can only go two weeks out and have so many post scheduled, but because I'm only posting like one or two a day, maybe anyway, right now. So that might work. Do you use hashtags? I'm trying to remember. I felt like I've used them, but maybe that doesn't help on that platform. So Pinterest did start allowing hashtags a while back, and it actually created its own feed called the hashtag feed. And they used to provide suggestions for hashtags and things like that. But the updates this year have really leaned towards fresh new content, keyword research, pin design, those kind of things. And the hashtag feed has kind of slowly whittled away and hashtags really aren't what the pinners are typing into the search bar. So Pinterest has really kind of eased up on that a little bit. And the best suggestion is with the limited space you have in the description, rather use keywords that a pinner would type in, specifically your ideal client. Because if you're going to put a hashtag in there, but they're not necessarily searching that hashtag or they're not engaging with that hashtag, again, you could have put in an actual keyword there that would have helped distribute that pin even further than initially it would have. Do you find that e-commerce does better than blogs? Because with Funzy Onesie, I haven't done that in a long time because I've been focusing more on the podcast and whatnot. But when I was doing it, I felt like those more kind of e-commerce-y type of pins worked better than blog posts and podcasts. But I don't know if that comes down to keywords or if that's just how it is. I think it's really a big mix. And I think it really depends on your ideal clients, on your type of content, on your pin designs, and just as you said, your keywords and things like that. Because product pins have always performed really well on Pinterest. Pinterest is also now allowing you to claim your Etsy account and your Shopify account through Pinterest, which means you get reporting on all of the stats for pins that lead to those places. And now Pinterest knows, oh, okay, all of those pins that lead to that Etsy account, they belong to you. Since you're a validated and validated Pinterest user, essentially, because you've claimed your business website and you've showcased, I create great content. They're going, okay, your Etsy store has been claimed as well. Your Shopify store has been claimed as well. All of these get greater distribution because you have proven to be a great content creator, specifically product creator, essentially. So they are definitely investing in the development of product pins, shopping catalogs, and really helping the e-commerce space. But in terms of the blogs, podcasts, recipes, all of those things, they perform extremely well as well. And I've had a lot of clients where, you know, your freebies, Pinterest has been amazing at building email lists through freebies, through blog posts, through podcasts. So I think both of them work really, really well. And the key thing again comes down to focus on your ideal client, focus on the customer journey that they're going through. Whether you're in e-commerce or you have a podcast, someone is still on a customer journey. At some point, they may buy from you, but even if it's just downloading your podcast episode or getting on your email list, it is a conversion and it's a journey that someone's going on. And you have to think about their mindset and what they're going through from when they see the pin or they even begin searching for the topic. What are they thinking? How can you show up at each stage throughout the journey on Pinterest and then off Pinterest, meaning on your actual e-commerce site? on your blog, on your podcast? How are you linking the two to make this a seamless journey that answers every single question, helps them overcome every single objection to buying, to signing up throughout this journey? That really is the key thing. And so I think 
when we, you know, compare e-commerce versus blog, I can't put one above the other because I've seen great results in both areas. And I think Pinterest is heavily investing in the growth of both areas. Okay. And then what kind of recommendations do you have as far as the image or video that's in your post as far as the image, the text? Definitely. So the images, when it comes to the actual design of the images, you want to stick with Pinterest's design requirements, which is really a long vertical image, a two by three ratio. So it's not a square image like Instagram. It's not a rectangular image, potentially like Facebook or anything like that. You're really going with this long vertical image. And the great thing is if you do have Instagram posts that you want to share to Pinterest, or you want, you have these small images, square images, you can use a platform like Tailwind or Canva to resize them into to Pinterest images in one or two clicks, very quick and easy. But in terms of the design of the image, you want to make sure that you are focused on really thinking about what the ideal client needs to see in the image. So what are you trying to portray? If you're taking them to a blog post, it needs to clearly indicate what that blog post is about. The pin image is really telling the pinner what they're going to see when they land on that page. If it's a blog about a piece of fashion or a fashion outfit or anything like that from a fashion blogger, they obviously want to showcase the outfit. So they want to have a really beautiful image that makes you stop the scroll is what we say these days. Stop the scroll. You want to make sure that it stands out, but then you want to give it a bit of context, which is where text comes in. Providing the context around what they're actually going to see when they land on that blog post. For example, that it's the top five winter fashion outfits or work from home outfits or things like that will actually help the person quickly and easily say, yes, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And they'll be able to click on it. So you want to make sure that the text is simple. It very little text, essentially, you want it to be just a few words, the bigger, the better, bold, stand out. But we still need to include our branding, which means you want to use your brand fonts, because you're trying to build brand recognition on Pinterest. So that means as you're putting text in there, as you're using images, if your theme on your website and the, you know, the images that you use are light and airy, stick with light and airy. Make sure that the text is still your font. Make sure that it's large and it's bold and it's easy to see because these images become quite small. So you want to make sure it stands up. And then one step further, you want to make sure that you add your branding in terms of a logo or a website so that people see it over and over again and they begin to trust the brand. They begin to trust the logo. They begin to trust the color palette. They begin to trust the style of the image because they see it being used by you all the time. And next time when they see a blog post, for example, they're not going to question if they click, they're more likely to click because they trust you over another Pinterest content creator because of this brand recognition that you're building. So you really are trying to build brand recognition, make it clear and simple, keep it focused on what the content is about, make sure that it stands out in the sea of pins. My greatest tip here is if you go into the search bar on Pinterest and you type in the main keywords that you want to show up under, you type those keywords in and you hit enter. Look at the other pins that are there. You are competing against those pin images. So when you design your pin image, make it stand out compared to those images. When you add your pins, go and take a look at where it is in the search engine. Type in the keywords, see if you can find your pin. Look at how it looks compared to all the others. Would you stop and pay attention if you didn't know this brand? These are the kind of questions you want to ask as you're designing the images. And the great thing is Canva has created a number of Pinterest templates that make it really easy if you're not a designer. So don't worry if you're not a designer. You know, a lot of people aren't. And so 
don't get hung up on that. There are designers that specifically create templates through Canva for you that you can access for free. So go ahead and grab those and just apply your branding, apply your look and feel, but focus on what a customer needs to see. If I can't see the handbag and that's what you're trying to sell me, I'm not going to click through. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, So you have to make sure that you are being very clear and still making it enticing for the viewer. Yeah. And I think with my funsy onesie ones, they were good in that respect because it was the image of the onesie. But my blog and podcast ones, well, my podcast ones in particular, it's just like every episode has cover art that has like a picture of the guest and their name and the title of the podcast episode. But that's what I'm using. And maybe that's not good enough (laughs) because people are gonna be like, I don't know who that person is. And I mean, the title of the episode might help, but they might just be scrolling past it because it's an image of a person. Well, I have found that those cover art podcast episode graphics work really well. So what it may be is that you just want to create some variation in the designs. Pinterest wants you to add a lot of new, fresh images, even if it leads to the same podcast, which means you can add up to a hundred pin images for one podcast episode if you wanted to. That's a lot, but you could. (laughs) And so when you're designing the cover art, for example, that's one potential image. The audiogram is a video pin that works really well. Those currently are really working very well. Again, it comes down to the keyword association that this pin has or the keywords that it's associated with. So you need to make sure that that is strengthened when you add this pin to it because it is the design, but it's also the SEO that goes with it. Those two work hand in hand. If it's not showing up in front of people, they can't engage with the pin. They can't actually click on the pin or even show you that the design is working. So you always need to make sure that you're pairing the two really well. But in terms of the podcast graphic, when you're looking at it from being the cover art, I've seen that as long as the title is bold and clear and easy to read, and it is specifically using keywords that someone would be searching for, then you're good. If it's a very vague title, something like daily workout recipes and fun tips, No one knows what that means, even though your audience may know that it is your daily workout that you post every day and you're talking about that on the podcast and you're talking about why you hated today's workout or you loved it. And you're also talking about fun tips for your kids because they know you well, so they know that's what it means. You're assuming that title works across the board, but that only works with people who are always on your podcast listening. They know everything. They know your family. They know all of that. And the biggest drawback, I see this with blog posts as well, when we title it in such a vague way, you know, it's a really vague title. (laughs) And someone's like, I have no idea what you're talking about in this. If you're just going to title it Instagram Live, but you didn't actually title it of the title of the Instagram Live, it becomes very difficult to share that on Pinterest because you're trying to use this title and it's like, no one knows what you're talking about. So even though you could target it properly as, you know, your daily workout, the recipes and the fun tips, you may end up creating a great description with keywords in it about family time and tips for parents with kids and things like that, that relate to the podcast episode. But if I'm scrolling through and I'm seeing you say daily workout, comma, recipes and fun tips, I'm not going to click on that podcast episode because I don't know what it's actually going to tell me. But if you said five daily arm workout exercises and why you should be doing them, I'm going to click on that if that's what I'm looking for. 
you make sure that the podcast title is bold, clear, and to the point, but it also uses the keywords that I would have typed in. I probably typed in arm exercises. I probably typed in workout videos or things like that. If your pin is showing up because of the way that you targeted it in terms of keywords, you want to make sure that it has the best chance of being clicked on. So that title is hugely important. And then what I like to do for podcast episodes is I like to create those image variations I was talking about. So a couple of different pin images for the same podcast episode, one using the cover art, and then the rest are just Canva designs that you can create or find where, again, you don't actually have to use an image of a person. You can have a solid color background with the main title of the podcast episode. And you could say, listen in now. You could have an iTunes logo if it's going to take them to iTunes so that they know they're going to iTunes to listen to a podcast episode. So these are things that you can do where you can really test a variety of images to see what your audience really is attracted to and what they engage with. And it doesn't matter if you're a fantastic designer or not. You will always have to test your image design because you have no idea what your audience is going to love. Sometimes they love the one where you only have three words on the image and it's a very simple design. And you may have thought that this amazing design that you did that was intricate and detailed would be the one that takes off. And then it's like, nope, your pinners will tell you what they want. Can you go over ads a little bit? I've never run an ad on there, but I've thought about it. Have you seen a good ROI on that? And what tips would you have for creating an ad? Definitely. So I have seen some great ROI on email signup ads and then checkouts as well. And it all depends on the journey you're going to take them on. So I found over the years that the best route to sales through promoted pins is usually when you promote the freebie and you take them directly to a freebie landing page where they can sign up for that freebie straight away. They get into an email sequence where they're warmed up because this Pinterest user doesn't really know the person. So having a welcome sequence that really takes them through getting to know you as a business owner, providing loads of value and helping warm them up to the point where you eventually pitch, that has proven to be the highest converting in terms of growing your audience email list and then essentially product sales in the end. And I've run ads that go directly to products as well as ads that go to a freebie first. And I've always, always, always seen that the highest converting checkouts happen through the welcome sequence. So it always happens at the end when you're pitching. Because they know you, they're more likely to convert. They've probably had a chance to email you with a question or two if they needed to, or they just sit back, they're getting the emails, they're getting to know you, and they're more likely to convert because they actually trust you. You're not just a random pin on the internet. You are a person that comes into my inbox and is sharing great, valuable information. So I'm willing to part with my money. So I found generally that that route has proven to be the best. However, I always advise that you test the two for your unique audience. Because again, it may just be the audiences that I'm working with. And so what I like to do is I like to spend two to four weeks testing two sets of ads. So one is going to be specifically directly to the products. The other ad is going to be through a warming up sequence. So you're going to take them through the freebie, warm them up, and then pitch the product. And I will use that time to test different things like the ad budgets, the keywords I'm targeting, the pin designs, and ensure that I have the best ad running in the end. So if it ends up that directly to the product is the one that converts the most, that's the one you pump your money into. If the email sequence is the one that performs the best over a period of time, that's the one that you increase your budget for. So the next most important thing to consider when you're doing a promoted pin is you want to make sure that you are testing the graphics. Because like we said, you never know what people are going to engage with in the end. 
and you have no idea which one's going to convert into the actual sales. So what I love to do is I like to design a set of ads for each campaign. So that's going to be a set of ads for the freebie and a set of ad designs for the product directly. And I'll add those to Pinterest organically, meaning I'll let them run for about a month organically on Pinterest, get a little bit of clicks, get some engagement, see which ones are actually performing the best. Then I will promote the ones that have actually showcased some level of engagement, meaning my audience has actually clicked on them or they've saved them. They've showcased some kind of interest in them. And then with those designs, I will whittle it down again over the test period of two to four weeks. And I'll say, which of these designs are the ones that are actually converting into the conversion that we are looking for? So into signups or into checkouts, those are the ones that you let run essentially as you increase your ad budget. So you're always testing with your promoter pins and every single week you're coming back and saying, okay, which ads are doing well? Which designs are doing well? Do I need to add new designs to see if maybe those will perform better? Do I need to adjust my targeting? Do I need to increase my budget for the product one over and above the email signup one? So those are really the the avenues that I like to go down when it comes to promoter pins. Yeah, that's useful information. Out of curiosity, what is the general demographic on Pinterest? I am assuming it's primarily female in their 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, but I could be wrong. So it is the majority. The majority of the audience is female, but we're sitting at, I think it's around 70% female. There's about 6 to 10% that are unspecified and the rest are male, but male signups are increasing consistently and unspecified or customer also increasing specifically. So we don't really know all of the gender options because you can select any that you want. So non-binary, female, custom, things like that you can you can choose. So we're seeing growth in the male category specifically. And that's really interesting and also good because I think there's a misconception about it being just about recipes. <laughs> and it is so much more. I was actually doing a training the other day where I was showcasing audience insights for Pinterest. And it turns out that recipes, in, in terms of Pinterest's overall audience, there's a very small percentage of the audience actually interested in recipes compared to things like education, home decor, arts and crafts, a couple of other things are above recipes. And yet we still have this idea that recipes are the main things on Pinterest, but they're not. In terms of the age groups, we do have a large portion that are 18 to 24. And I think it's above 27%. And then I think we're about 26% are in the 25 to 34 age category. And then about 18%, 35 to 44 age category and then the rest it obviously declines the biggest majority well the largest portion of the audience really is between 18 to 44 I think it is that's kind of what I was figuring actually I didn't think 18 I was thinking more like early 20s to 40s but uh, I was pretty close there what I was gonna say was about the recipes is that before I started using it for my business I didn't use it at all and so I just assumed it was for recipes because that's how my friends were using it. They'll make something. I'm like, oh, that's really good. Can you give me the recipe? And they're like, oh, I got it on Pinterest. And so I just kind of assumed that too. Exactly. And it was. I mean, that's really, I think, how Pinterest built themselves up in the beginning is they became this inspiration board. They were essentially a vision board, like your old cork board you used to have on the wall. 
that's essentially what Pinterest became. It was just people thought, let's do it virtually. And so they did that. And they were doing that with recipes and home decor and just things that would inspire people. And then content creators came on. We changed the world. <laughs> and, and we decided, let's put our content out there. And now you have finance tips and dentist tips and all kinds of things. I mean, you could figure out literally everything in life from Pinterest. <laughs> so there is almost every kind of searchable keyword on there. Very similar to Google. If someone's searching for it on Google, they're probably also searching for it on Pinterest. Yeah. And it's funny because even though I use Pinterest now, I still don't really think of it when I need to look for something. Like I was talking to a friend actually last week. She had just gotten a camper and during this whole quarantine thing, she's going out with her family, traveling by camper. And so I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to do that sometime. And I was asking her questions about the differences between RVs, campers, trailers, all this stuff. And I was like, I, I don't have a truck, so then I'd have to buy a truck, blah, blah, blah. Actually, maybe I could just get a big van and then take out the seeds and refurbish it, basically. Because I've seen, I think someone on Shark Tank was doing that. And she's like, yeah, there's plenty of stuff on Pinterest. Just go look there. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? I know. I was actually, the other day, I was looking at camper vans and RVs on Pinterest. Ah. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. <laughs> and I think it is one of those things that a lot more people are becoming familiar with Pinterest. So I think they're feeling a bit more comfortable. But you are right that there's still a huge portion of the population around the world that aren't necessarily using Pinterest to do that. But when they type it into Google, some of the top searches link directly to Pinterest pins because they are searchable. So even though <laughs> you may find that some people aren't necessarily searching on Pinterest for something, if they type in camper vans or they type in recipes or anything like that, I mean, really, Pinterest education, some of my pins pop up when I type in, you know, my own keywords into Google. That's fantastic because what happens is someone can click on that. It'll take them straight to the pin. They click on the pin, it takes them straight to my blog post or my piece of content. So you're also showing up in Google, which is amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. I have so much I need to learn about Pinterest. And you have different free checklists and then also some courses for people who would be interested in learning more. You have the Ultimate Pinterest Marketing Checklist and the Ultimate Pinterest Manager Checklist and then a Pinterest game plan. I'm thinking I, I probably need to, because you've been so helpful. You've opened my eyes to a lot of things I hadn't really thought about as far as the possibilities and potential of it. And then I assume, I don't think I've gone to your Pinterest, but I assume it would be a good place for people to go to kind of see like what you were talking about with the branding and all that stuff. How do we find you on Pinterest? It's pinterest.com forward slash cat, K-A-T, Morehouse, M-O-O-R-H-O-U-S-E. So you could type that in or you could visit my website and go to my, one of my social buttons where I lead you directly to Pinterest. So you'll be able to find that on the website as well. If you are interested in getting started, the best place to start is the checklist, the Ultimate Pinterest Marketing Checklist. That's going to help you see exactly what needs to happen to set up an optimized profile because we always start with the actual profile, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you always start with the profile. And thankfully, Pinterest is like, listen, let's put all the keywords in this <laughs> in your profile initially so we know exactly what you're doing and then you build it up from there. And that checklist helps you with that. And then my welcome sequence, which I was telling you, you need to warm people up. <laughs> so if you're not doing your email sequence, you need to do that for your audience as well. But feel free to join that freebie because I do have some emails that come after that with some great tips to help you get started and kind of simplify the whole process. 
but definitely go and take a look at the Pinterest account. And even if you just go and take a look at Pinterest itself and you start searching and you think about the things I spoke about, just go to the home feed or type something in, start paying attention to the pins and take a look at what I meant by a pin that is branded. If you see a pin that is branded and you see the color palette, you see the fonts, you see the clear, bold text compared to something else next to it, you'll see exactly what I mean by noticing these things and by branding and brand recognition. Actually, when we get done here, I'm going to actually go to Pinterest. First, I'm going to check out your Pinterest and then to kind of <laughs> to see what you're talking about with the branding and all that. And then I might start looking at vans and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So many great things on Pinterest. It really, you can get stuck in a rabbit hole. But, you know, when you're the one putting content on Pinterest, you don't mind if other people get stuck in yeah. a rabbit hole. So as long as you're also doing your own Pinterest account, then you're good. Well, I really appreciate your time today. And people can find you at katherinemorehouse.com. That's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-M-O-O. R-H-O-U-S-E.com. I'll also have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Catherine. And again, that's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.